Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we're talking all about Chapter 5, The Book of Boba Fett, or should we say, The Return of the Mandalorian. The Return of the Mandalorian. He's back. It's funny because, yeah, he's back, and my dad was calling this episode Bobalorian, and I like it, so we're appropriating it. It is Bobalorian. <laughs> okay, so this episode was aired on January 26, 2022, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, written by John Favreau. So what did we think? <laughs> this episode was so fun. It was it was a lot. I don't think <laughs> I you know, again, the 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 early morning experience of watching the Book of Boba Fett or any like the Mandalorian when it's on too. I woke up and I had I think two or three DMs on Twitter about the episode, which doesn't happen. Usually people don't <laughs> so true. message me about the episodes, at least until after they know I've watched it. And it wasn't spoilers or anything. It was just like, get ready, be prepared. <laughs> it was like people who had stayed up until three or were like out on the West Coast where, you know, they're they're blessed and only have to stay up until midnight. But imagine. I like, imagine that. All right. I like <laughs> popped out of bed and was like, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so it it was a lot. I I think we all anticipated Din coming back this episode. I didn't anticipate the episode we got and just that it was actually basically felt like a kickoff to the Mandalorian season three in a lot of ways. And like I was overwhelmed. Um, and it was like returning to an old friend. It was like a hug, you know, with like a dark saber through your back. But like it was, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, Din, Din, my friend, how have you been? <laughs> What's yes. been going on? But I think we got a lot of really good tidbits in this episode about Din, um, the Mandalorian, and what he's been doing, where his headspace is at, and things I think we can see coming up in season three. And I think it was really, I think it was a really interesting move to put this episode in the middle of the Book of Boba Fett. But I also think it works really well. And Charlotte and I have been thinking a lot about like the comparisons between Boba and Din, and I think they're really compelling. And I think it kind of makes sense now that we have an idea of who Boba Fett is and then also we're we're pretty familiar with Din with the Mandalorian too and knowing that their paths are going to intersect again and we're kind of in this very concentrated portion of the Star Wars universe of the Mandoverse I think it made sense to have this episode here and I really enjoyed it and I was so excited that this was Bryce's episode she makes some good Star Wars (laughs) what can I say she really does. And honestly, the best episodes have been directed by women. I just have to say it. I, it's just the truth. Chapter two and then chapter five to me, I think though they're like equal for me in terms of how good they are. I, I really enjoyed this episode too. It really reminded me how much I love The Mandalorian, <laughs> yeah. which is interesting because I, I enjoyed season two, but it was a discourse mountain, right? Like, I've been we've been open on the show about how like that was kind of a stressful period. And I think that it kind of clouded my perception of like the Mandalorian, I guess. And for me, getting back into the world of what Din is dealing with, it it highlighted all the things I really like about the show, The Mandalorian. And 
just delivered them in this beautifully shot episode. And it was interesting because I think one of our sort of not complaints, but something that we were tracking during season two of The Mandalorian and season one was, oh man, it wouldn't it be nice to get more episodes where it's just Din or wonder what Din is up, like what is he thinking? What are his struggles? What does he think about being a Mandalorian? What is he up against in the fact that he's like removed his helmet? I don't know. A lot of things were just answered in this episode though for me that sort of really hammered home like all the things I really like about the Mandalorian and just the lore I think behind it too. I I don't know. I really enjoyed this. And it's interesting because this show, The Book of Boba Fett, right, is seven episodes. And seven is a weird number. We've talked about this before. In the past, I think The Mandalorian was eight episodes. And with The Book of Boba Fett, it's seven. I think that Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to be six episodes. That makes sense to me. Um, and it's interesting just because you would think that this epi- this series would be also six episodes. And for me, this The Return of the Mandalorian exists almost as an interlude between them. I feel like this mm-hmm. is why the series is seven episodes and not six. Um, we have only two episodes left. I think they're going to be epic. I really do. And I think <laughs> these three episodes, this one, the next one, and the seventh episode, I think are going to be absolutely wild. I am not prepared. I think <laughs> I might have to stay up until 3 a.m. for at least one of them. Oh, boy. But yeah, you know, <laughs> there's always one every season. <laughs> um, this episode just really highlights why I really like The Mandalorian and how much I missed him. And it's also intriguing because I think in the end of season two, it was like, oh, no, we're going to have not like there's going to be episodes without Grogu no more Grogu and this episode to me proved that oh it's it's fine without Grogu I mean he's Din is miserable without (laughs) without Grogu but I find the character just as compelling without him I think that's the thing is I was like wow I think they're intrinsically tied of course like their stories are intertwined and Din without Grogu is like he's missing a limb sort of and you can tell and that's something that I really appreciate about this episode but I still liked watching him you know and I I found it to be fine without Grogu which is interesting I don't know uh it's especially I, Caitlin and I are baby Yoda Grogu lovers so any any shot we get it's so he's so freaking cute so yeah, loved this episode. 10 out of 10 for me. I can't get enough. I feel like the fandom has been reignited. The memes are so good. <laughs> and I, I, it's just, it's really great. I, of course, like I understand the sort of like, where's Boba in his own show? But I, I still in my brain just think about this as an interlude. Uh, I think every popular show that has won Emmys has a weird... <laughs> a weird interlude episode where they do something different like the coach beard episode of Ted Lasso the fly episode of Breaking Bad the only murders in the building I don't know if any of our listeners have watched those shows but I'm sure if I say those names everyone sort of recognizes what I'm talking about and this one is the one that is the weird and the familiar at the same time and I really liked it well I think it kind of goes both ways too like you think about like the Mandalorian kind of setting up the show of Boba Fett, uh, the book of Boba Fett, to kind of have it go the other way 
too. In a lot of ways, that makes it feel more interconnected, I think. And I feel like there's also a lot of conversation online about like what's too much connectedness, what's not enough connectedness. And I think we're in one universe. And if we have these things that can tie in, why not use them? I think it's fun. And I I like knowing what's going on. <laughs> and I like being able to point True. out these things, to like spot them. I don't know. I think and this episode, I think was set, I mean, we're obviously going to talk about the end or the end, the back half of the episode with um, our, our starfighter uh, and just how great that was to see like basically a pod race on Tatooine more or less <laughs> with Din. So good. It was it was so great. Um, but yeah, I was totally, the first time I watched this episode, I don't think I realized that the whole thing was going to be, you know, a, basically an episode of The Mandalorian or just focused on Din. Like I kept waiting for Din to get the call that Boba was looking for him <laughs> from Fennec. And I was like, all right, there he goes. He's he's going to go meet up with Boba and Fennec. And it never happened. <laughs> And I was like, wait, yeah. it's over? Yeah. No. But I think what was cool about it in a lot of ways is that it showed me that I like really do like Boba Fett as a character. And I know we've been talking about this the whole season, but it was kind of like absence makes the heart grow fonder in a lot of ways. I kept anticipating Boba coming and the conversation him and Din were going to have. And I found myself missing Boba Fett a lot in this episode. Um but then on the second rewatch, I, again, we talk about this a lot, like with rewatching Star Wars, because that first watch, it's just kind of so in a lot of ways, like anxious about what's coming next and what's the next big thing. And especially for an episode like this, where there was already a lot of anticipation for what was going to happen, I think I was kind of overwhelmed with there not being any Boba and then like our return to Din and like Grogu and the Darksaber and everything that was happening with that. But on second watch, I don't know. It's just like, okay, I know what's happening. I can just enjoy the sights. I can enjoy, I can enjoy my sad boy, the Mandalorian. He's so honorable to the Mandalorians. And for what? <laughs> and for what? And, and for what? And for what? <laughs> he just misses his baby. <laughs> <laughs> I I loved it. I I really liked it. The I don't want it to sound like I didn't like this episode the first time I watched it. I think I was just surprised and kind of like, oh no, where's Boba? Like I'm sad that there was no Boba in this episode, and I still am. But I think I like understand this episode more on second watch and like have like fully enjoy it now that I know what's coming and that we and like you had pointed this out to me the whole like seven episode six episode thing and I hadn't really thought about that um and I think that makes total sense honestly that you know boba the boba centric piece of this story was always probably going to be six episodes and then there was opportunity to kind of put in this Mandalorian episode and it I don't want to call it the Mandalorian episode, but like Din's episode. And it, it kind of made sense. And I'm sure when they're talking about the creative process and like connecting these two stories, it like they all, all of like, you know, John Favreau, Bryce, Dave, um, Robert, they like all have the big picture, right? We don't have the big picture, <laughs> but they have the big picture. And I'm sure that it works together and flows together really nicely on, you know, the giant whiteboard of storyboards that they're looking at daily and we're just not there yet 
We're not. I would like to be, but we're not. Yeah, I I remember in the morning being like, oh, you're not like super overwhelmed like this with this or like super overwhelmed and excited because I think that you were sort of suffering from that like, what did I just watch? That was a lot (laughs) type of vibe. We are we beat a dead horse when we talk about this about how the first watch is so different from the second watch when it comes to Star Wars. Yeah, and I really think it's just because we put so much emotional stock into it and the show and everything. It's just what happens. Um, but I I don't know. Like I I just I really loved it. And for me, like I'm with you. It really did make me think about how. I can't wait for the next two episodes of Boba. I'm excited for the next piece. And I I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I think that as we move closer into understanding what quote unquote the Mandoverse is, I wonder what that first episode of season three is going to look like for the Mandalorian. Are we going to be referencing this? Is there going to be a previously on type situation where it references something like this? Or are we dealing with uh, a retreading of, oh yeah, now Mandalore, like now Din has this N1 Starfighter that's modified and that's it. Or or what? Yeah, it's a cool question. And this is something we talked about at the beginning of the Book of Boba Fett, was just how it was going to bleed into Mandalorian Season 3. And I think we're kind of getting our answer now. And perhaps we, in some ways, we shouldn't even be looking at these as separate series. Uh, yeah. But yeah. just one story that's happening story. at the same time. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this too, but kind of in a lot of ways, the rarity of having two separate series taking place in the same time period, <laughs> it mm-hmm. doesn't happen in Star Wars, really not in this manner. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's cool to kind of experiment with this because I, I know there's the conversation of, you know, if someone isn't watching The Mandalorian, and they are watching the book of Boba Fett, what is that experience like for that viewer? And I think that that's that's a good thing to be thinking about. But I also think that to a certain extent, if that's not that, like, we, you don't need to hold an audience member's hand through everything. And if they're not watching The Mandalorian, then one, in, in some ways, it's like it's OK for them not to watch this episode or to get everything. But I still think that the episode stands on its own as an interesting like piece of television, if that makes sense. And like watching uh, Din make his way to Tatooine and kind of knowing that he's meeting up with Fennec at the end of it. I think it's really interesting. And I think it's cool that the book of Boba Fett didn't feel like it needed to explain who Din was. I think that yeah. to me, that's when that's when I start thinking, okay, these aren't two separate series. It's all one box set that we're putting up on the shelf. It's not separate books altogether. It's a box set. It's a box set. It's a box set. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I don't know. I think that's cool because I just think it's a fun thing to kind of experiment with. And I, I think I'm constantly reminded that this is only the second live action series that Star Wars is doing. I think there's oftentimes so many comparisons to Marvel and what they're doing and ways that they could be doing it better than Star Wars, ways that Star Wars is doing it better than Marvel. And I think that it, and we compare the two a lot on our show because I think they're easy and good things to compare 
just like the size of the franchises, honestly. I just think Star Wars is in the early stages of live action TV. And we've seen Marvel do this over the past year, I would say really successfully with, you know, character driven, like singular character driven stories that are also connected to other things that are going on in the MCU with having characters drop in and out of these different series. Um, And I think that the book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian is doing something similar. This makes sense with Jon Favreau and his involvement in the MCU too. And I don't know, it's all kind of tracking for me, but I don't think, and I could be very mistaken because I haven't followed everything that Marvel has done, but I don't think Marvel has done an episode like we just saw this week in the book of Boba Fett in one of their shows. Like there wasn't an episode of WandaVision was there or Loki that completely just was focused like on ripped open it. Yeah. 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 And I, um, I think it's yeah, cool no. that the book of Boba Fett and the Mandalorian did that. Honestly, I think it's something different that they're trying and I want to see them keep doing new things and experimenting with like the timelines of these shows. And, and again, is it a box set? Is it, are they completely separate stories? They're happening in the same, like on the same days of the week <laughs> in the star Wars galaxy. <laughs> so like, what does that mean? I don't know. I think it's yeah. a cool thing to think about. Yeah, I think that something that is interesting to think about if you if we wanted to compare the MCU, Caitlin and I are not experts, but I you're right. It is worthy to discuss the comparison. They're both Disney properties, both huge franchises, both started by John Favreau. It just makes sense to compare them. And we enjoy but, a lot of the Marvel TV yes, shows too, a lot. Absolutely. And I don't keep up with all of them, but I understand what's going on. So there's that. I know the snap. And exactly. <laughs> like, well, they all do the snap. Holy crap. Yeah. Like, I, that's something that's like, it, it's it's getting a little old for me. <laughs> that, like, <laughs> it's all around the snap. And I it's, it's getting old to me just because it's like one of those things that's just brought up every single series. But like, I understand it. But whatever. Anyway, I, I think that with the book of Boba Fett, I think this is a good time to talk about how this also makes sense because... The Mandalorian, Din, and Boba are on similar trajectories. So it's not like we saw Loki in the show Loki and then also brought in like Captain America. That doesn't make sense, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can make a case for that, obviously, but not the same timelines, not the same situations. It doesn't link up, okay? But with The Mandalorian and Boba Fett, I think this is a good time to talk about the the parallel journeys that Boba and Din are on and how this story that is within the book of Boba Fett similarly reinforces something that Boba is on. And I think that it's interesting because we're dealing with two characters who have a past of bounty hunting, right? That they make money, they're really good at it, right? We I think we know that Boba Fett is one of the best and we've been told that Din is also one of the best. Din clearly doesn't really care that much about the New Republic credits. He lets the people in the meat market go after it. There's this undercurrent of workers' rights that comes through both of their journeys that I think it's really interesting, right? We've seen that in these episodes of The Book of Boba Fett and then immediately here with Din being like, take what you think you deserve, which I think is cool. Constantly, we're we're getting these two characters, Din and Boba, redefining what the concept of family means. We have Boba trying to build a crime family <laughs> and also wrestling with this trauma of losing his father and then creating a quote-unquote family with within Jabba's palace by gathering all this this group of misfits and also then we have 
Din figuring out is his family with the Mandalorians, especially in this episode when he visits the armor and Paz Vizsla and that's what's left. So he has an opportunity to even build a a family of Mandalorians with them, um, like a found family, but ultimately he's thrown out of that. But also he's lost his family in Grogu, which I think we as the audience know is the one thing that Din really cares about. Both Din and Boba are foundlings, technically, and I I think that's really interesting because they're both not Mandalorian by blood. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that, but and stuff that I am just not as well versed on Boba Fett's own history and things like that. But they're both foundlings. I think that the Mandalorian makes a very clear effort to talk about what a foundling is versus like born of Mandalore <laughs> constantly in the show. Um, and it it doesn't really make a, a difference. Like they they create and forge Beskar for the foundlings. That is the most important task for them. I think that that's something that the armor says in season one of The Mandalorian. Yeah. Caitlin, is there anything else that you wanted to add to this comparison list? Yeah, I think it's a really good comparison to make between the two characters. And I think you already mentioned this, but uh, both have lost their families, Right. So Boba has lost his family with the Tuscans and Din has lost his family with Grogu. And like you mentioned to Charlotte, I think we see in this episode that that is very much uh, Din's focus right now. He's got a one track mind. Even in this episode, when we hear the armorer say that he is no longer a Mandalorian and that he has to go uh, and basically baptize himself in the waters underneath the mines. Um Din is like, okay, great, but first, comma, I'm going to go get Grogu. (laughs) And I think we talked about this a lot with the Mandalorian of Din. Everyone knows that Din is going to put Grogu first, I think, except for Din himself. I think he... I don't think he still has verbalized it to himself, if that makes sense. And I know you kind of disagree with me on this. I know if I'm remembering on conversations from The Mandalorian correctly... But I still think even in this episode, and I think we're probably closer to Din realizing like to call Grogu his family, but even now he's just like, I just want to make sure he's safe. And, you know, if you could just like real fast make him some Beskar chain mail, that would be, you know, (laughs) super great. I'm just going to go check on him. (laughs) You think it's chain mail? I think it's chain mail. Yeah. My mom thought it was a cool necklace with a little ball on it. Like a, and I was like, like a collar. <laughs> He's not. There's like, the no, bell no. around his neck, so you can hear him when he comes. <laughs> like, yeah. No, it's like the ball. You know. Yeah. Ball. Yeah. I don't know. I think. I think a lot of people think it's chainmail. Um. I don't know what a necklace. A necklace wouldn't like protect him. It doesn't really do that much. No. Yeah. I agree. Maybe I agree. it's like just, you know, just I, wanted to put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad gave us Bobalorian. <laughs> My mom gives us necklace, necklace that is like card. a collar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, not to like pick favorites, but <laughs> but I choose chainmail. <laughs> what I was <laughs> what I was kind of thinking of though is what if he gets a little bus car helmet? I and there's like so room cute. for his ear. <laughs> You know that there's some concept artists fi- trying to figure that out right. now, or have already figured it out. It already you know, exists. there's some. How does how do they incorporate Mandalorian culture into Grogo? It's tough, so man. It's well, tough. if he and he's gonna get his own, um, what's the animal that they have the that they beat together? The clan of two, the mud. What is it called? Oh, the mud horn. The mud horn. That's it. 
Um, anyway, yeah, I think that I think that Din is still like everything's okay. I'm just gonna see if he's safe. That's it means nothing. It's don't make it deep, guys. <laughs> and everyone's like, <laughs> it's pretty deep. <laughs> Uh, that's what I think. But anyway, I and I think they're both trying to cre- gain back their families. The story that we're seeing them on is gaining a sense of belonging, a found family, um, all of that. And we saw Boba go through that and lose it. And that's what happened to Din as well with his family with Grogu. The clan of two is now just Din. And that's really sad for both of them. So I do think they're on similar journeys like you pointed out and – they're both uh, they're both trying to get it back to find their footing again. I think there's something really interesting too about both Jin and Boba Fett in their um, their moral codes. There's kind of this like what I put in our notes as this like honorable lawlessness about them. And you kind of touched on this in regards to, like the workers' rights and like yes, I did just brutally murder everyone of your employers, but. The money is yours for the taking. It's, you know, not my monkey, not my circus. Have at it. Whatever you think you deserve. <laughs> and then Boba is kind of the same way, right? Like we saw him with the mod gang and the watermonger. Um, and I think we've kind of seen touches of that too with how he treats the other family heads. You know, he is not out for revenge against them. He understands that they're just working for money and it is what it is. But also don't go against me. But then he also acknowledges that he's a crime lord. <laughs> and I don't know. They both have um, they're very set in their ways and like their morals and what they think is right. And and even Din with his um, adherence to the Mandalorian code and how much he values it, even though he gave it all up for Grogu, it's still something that he holds on to. And I think, you know, the episode The Believer in season two is such a standout as far as commentary on like belief and where's your line in the sand and when do you change your line in the sand? And I think that's what, I think we always see Din kind of try to not cross any lines when it comes to what he thinks is right. But then as soon as Grogu is put on the line, you know, all bets are off. And I think I think we might see something similar too with Boba, especially like we we already saw him take revenge, right, for the Tuscans and what happened to them. But I wonder if something else will come up in the next two episodes that will also put that to the test and like his feelings of betrayal or feelings of loss again. I don't know. I think there's something that whole like Western vibe of, you know, characters like Boba and Din, we root for them, but they're also, you know, they're criminals too, (laughs) but we trust them and like them and value their judgment in a lot of situations too. It's really cool that the Mandalorian and now the Book of Boba Fett is really getting into this third aspect. We have the Jedi, we have the Sith, and now we have the bounty hunters. And also what happens after those, like, what is this criminal underworld, but like, what is even more than that, right? Because we've seen bounty hunters work for the Empire. We've seen bounty hunters work for shady people. But what happens after, what happens when you start to question your own free will about your role in that game? And I think that's something that we see with the book of Boba Fett. I wanted to bring up something that you mentioned about the concept of the creed, the code. You actually use the word code when I think that Din would probably use the word creed, but it made me think of 
how Grogu now with Luke Skywalker following a Jedi code that actually the armor calls out as no attachments, which is really curious to me that we're bringing that up again. Um, and that even with, you know, even Din there questions how that is like diametrically opposed to what the Mandalorian creed is. And we're, we're supposed to have these two characters, Grogu and Din, I think who are intrinsically bound together, right? For, for life, they are a clan of two, but, but perhaps they're following. sides of the creed. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting because we have Din actively questioning the Jedi code and what does that mean for him actively questioning the Mandalorian creed? I think that as my hope is with all Star Wars, okay, <laughs> is that there is a third way of you don't have to follow this really ridiculously strict Jedi code. You don't have to follow this really ridiculously strict Mandalorian creed about leaving your helmet on no matter what you can do whatever you want, <laughs> you know? And I, I think that that is what we're leading to a new Mandalore led by Din with the dark saber. I mean, this entire scene in with the armor was very heavy handed with lore and symbolism and talking about what the future of someone who wields the dark saber is talking about the, the Bo-Katan and uh, Satine and things like that, just the past of Mandalore and the Night of a Thousand Tears. Just we're, we were given so many things to process, and I am still not processing. I, I'll, it never at all. Process I'll never process. I'll never process it. I'm never. trying. I'm. I, I really tried. I don't try. I don't try anymore. I'm just like cool. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I, I think that was the only thing I texted you when I was watching it. Yeah. I was like, "We're seeing the Night of a Thousand Tears. Are you kidding me? It was so." amazing and I can't believe we saw basically ba basically concept art brought to life yeah is what it looked like to me it was amazing yeah um, obviously a very tragic event but really well done in terms of this flashback yeah you texted that and I was like yes it, do it does not like it does something for me but like I don't know what what that means <laughs> I, I just can't like, contextualize we're closer it. To understanding. <laughs> I know you think that, and then you really think about it for a second. You're like, oh, I still know nothing. Don't get it. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but we're kind of stuck on this area where I just think that what we're moving towards is a redefinition of these hardline rules that we sort of as as an audience member, at least I'm speaking for myself here, think are quite ridiculous. And I think that Din hopefully is will come to understand that as well. I hope so. Yeah. And you had me thinking, you know, you're right in that Star Wars has kind of focused on the Jedi and the Sith. And now we're looking at the bounty hunter code. I would argue that we haven't really gotten an exploration of the Sith and the dark side, not in the same way that I think we're seeing with the Jedi and the right, bounty hunter right. and acolyte. And that's what, that's what I was going to say. We've got the acolyte <laughs> coming and I kind of hope that we explore those things. I think they talk about, you know, the dark side a lot more, completely in like publishing and in the novels and stuff like that. And I Definitely. think we're, we're seeing a lot of that in the high Republic right now too. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind as we're moving towards more and more series of 
you know, if I were Lucasfilm thinking like super big picture, and I think we can argue day in and day out about just how big picture they're looking at some of these things when it feels like they're not in some instances, but also we're, you know, we're living in the middle of it. Yep. But I think that would be such an interesting, like, note on the whiteboard, right? We've got the bounty hunter, we've got the Jedi, we've got the Sith. We have all these people in the galaxy out there living by codes. And the galaxy keeps falling into evil hands. And no one, like, what does it all mean at the end of the day? And so it's like go into each of those groups of people and break down the beliefs that they think should govern their lives. And what of it can you take what should you leave behind, right? It's like Yoda and Empire Strikes Back. Um, you know, you take only what, only take what you need or like yourself into the cave kind of thing. Take what, yeah. Yeah, I can't, yes. of course I can't think of the quote. I'm like, yeah, let me bring up the Yoda and now I can't think of the quote. But you guys know. <laughs> but it's like that mentality. And I don't know. I think that's, I think that'd be such a cool thing if like in, you know, five years, we've kind of had this exploration of a bounty hunter, a Jedi, and a Sith, a dark side user, and how they view the world and how that perspective changes. And I think that's what any good story does, especially like a coming of age story, a hero's journey. That's the whole point, right? Like a character shouldn't be stagnant. They should grow. They should change. They should take in new perspectives of the world, whatever that world is that surrounds them. And I think that Din has done that really well from taking in a foundling of his own. Um, and I think that Boba is on that journey for himself right now, too. Absolutely. Okay. Why don't we dive into talking about the show in a sort of chronological way? Because there was so much packed into this episode that I think we have to move away from the thematic discussion and talk about the specific instances that were just so joyful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, actually, first, can we just touch a little bit on Bryce herself? Absolutely. I feel like we haven't really talked about Bryce Dallas Howard. This was her episode. It was great. And it totally makes sense that this would be her episode because she, I think, is the only other person in the world besides maybe even just Dave Filoni that has the breakdown yeah. of the Mandalorian history. Like, oh I'm not gosh. even sure if, if John Favreau has it. <laughs> Okay, you know John has. It, I don't but think it's, he does. It's from Dave's notes. <laughs> I don't think. Okay. <laughs> I don't think Dave has even let. I think. I think John himself has some blurred out pieces of the Mandalorian timeline. <laughs> well, okay. So here's how I envision in my head canon the situation between John and Dave. I think John again has this intense knowledge of cinema, film. I say cinema and film, like it's not the same thing, but it's fine. <laughs> and like history and technology and. You know, there's a lot of talk about how he is just so good at coordination, right? But I think that Dave is the guy who's like, okay, so here's what happened in Legends. Here's what's happening now in current canon. Here's this book. Here's something that we could bring in. Here's this funny little anecdote. And here's what we can do. Let me enlighten you, John. And I think John is genuinely interested in that too, but Dave is like his encyclopedia, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Bryce who is happy to be here, <laughs> happy to be here. Okay? And also has a real appreciation for cinema, having grown up around that. I mean, her father is Ron Howard. And then also being in the Jurassic World franchise and uh, having been an actress and things like that. So she understands film and how and big franchises too, big franchises and values them. Right. Yeah. So then we have that. So then we have Bryce who's happy to be here, but also happy to learn about <laughs> everything. Okay. So this is the 
I, I can't remember how many episodes she has directed. It, this might be her fourth, right? Third. Her fourth? Third or fourth. Regardless, she's done one, at least one every season of In the Mandoverse, okay? I feel like she is so willing to learn about the Star Wars history, right? And it's funny because uh, years ago, so in 2019, after her episode, I was on Instagram and I watched her Instagram live. If you're in our Discord, this is kind of legendary, but I watched her Instagram live. She was wearing a season one hoodie that like no one had seen before. They hadn't even revealed the signet of the mud horn yet. And I was like, that's the mud horn. It's so funny. Um, and she revealed that Dave had written her all these different notes. And I made a TikTok about this and I'd posted about this before, but it's pages and pages and pages of Mandalorian it's history. Like a fold that out brochure. <laughs> like it is insane. We're, we're talking like graphs. Yeah. <laughs> and diagrams. Well, she like it's so intense. Got up in the line and was like, oh, let me go grab these real fast. <laughs> and then like she was like flipping through it. You can't really see it because it was so like JPEGs JPEGy and like Pixel, pixely. Yeah. Um you can kind of tell some of it. Some of our uh patrons kind of ran Decoded. it through a program to see it. Yeah, it was great. Um, but it, it wasn't giving away anything really. And all this to say she had that, but it's funny during the live, she was like, I don't know if I should be saying this. It was, it was, Oops. Well, you, I remember you were texting me during it and we're like, you need to stop what you're doing and get on Instagram live. And like, you could see the moment of realization come over her where she was like, I signed an NDA. Um, <laughs> Actually, let me just real fast put these away. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I think she's the only person that has that outline. And I think, again, I don't even, I think Dave has even given John like a redacted version of that. <laughs> like if, again, I'm building my director headcanon, I think that, yeah, I think Bryce Dallas Howard is the only one with the full layout. And so I think it makes sense that this would be her episode because um, her last episode was the heiress, I believe, in season two of The Mandalorian. Yeah. And, you know, that's got Bo-Katan and it's, you know, very Mandalorian focused on like the history of Mandalorian. I'm like, it's Mandalorian focused in the show The Mandalorian. But like, you know what I mean? With like Bo-Katan and the Darksaber and like, you know, we hear a lot more about that. So I, I think it makes sense that this would be her episode. The other thing, too, is like the meat, like it felt like Bryce's episode, like the meat market felt very much like Trask from the heiress episode, like the set building of the heiress in particular. And especially um, what was the season one episode? Sanctuary, right? Is that what it was mm -hmm, called? Mm -hmm. the, the set building in those episodes, I think, was just exquisite. And something, too, that's been really cool to track through her episodes is she heavily uses the color blue in all of her episodes. Uh, like Sanctuary was very blue. Uh, Trask was very blue. Bo-Katan, her color is blue. And then here in the beginning of this episode, we've got the meat market, which is, you know, icy blue. That kind of changes as the episode goes on. But there's a really big emphasis on that color in Bryce's episodes. And I think it's you know, we always like to bring it back to a little color theory if we can. And I think that's mm -hmm. a cool thing to track for her um, and like her sensibilities and her eye as a director and why she gravitates toward that color and what it represents in like the stories that she's telling. I would say that she gravitates towards that color because there's a sense of comfort that comes with the color blue. 
a sense of brilliance, a sense of... No one in that meat market was comfortable. I was comfortable because I saw The Mandalorian, though. As an audience member, I am transported back to a place that I am familiar with because I am familiar with The Mandalorian. I'm with you in that no one was comfortable there. It's icy. (laughs) it's, It's cold. It's... A meat market, right? And there's it's uh, a violent place, right? But there's a sense of okay, I know what is going to happen here because I trust yeah. the Mandalorian, and I know that he's going to walk out of here alive, well, and doing something badass. And same with Antrask, this reunion of the frogs, <laughs> you know, the frogs, Mister and Mrs. Frog, and <laughs> Mr. Frog I. Lady. Yeah. On Sorgan, there's this sense of romantic love that happens there, this winning of um, uh, the the community <laughs> wins again with the help of the Mandalorian, again, with that comfort level of we're getting comfortable with Din as a hero figure for us in this show. And I think that, again, where, of course, it makes sense at the beginning of this episode this is a good transition by the way the beginning of this episode moves into a sense of comfortability with the fact that this is already disrupting the show that we've grown to be comfortable with with the book of Boba Fett yeah you're right it is that is a really nice transition actually um into the meat market (laughs) (laughs) I think it's interesting also since now we're here in the meat market in the very first (laughs) in the very beginning of this episode I think the visual entrance of the Mandalorian in this episode of Book of Boba Fett through a curtain that is clear. So he looks like just a silhouette, a sort of foggy silhouette is really interesting when you compare it to the other entrances that we see from the Mandalorian from season one to season two, which are very clear, not necessarily a silhouette. I'm always very aware of when Star Wars uses shadows and silhouettes to describe characters based off of a comment that Kathleen Kennedy actually made a couple years ago about how Star Wars and Star Wars characters represent iconic silhouettes. And if an, a Star Wars character doesn't have an iconic silhouette, that it won't be iconic. Or recognizable. <laughs> and, like that's something they think of from the yeah. very beginning with a character design. Right. So it was interesting to me because I think that in this moment it was hazy, it, but it was also recognizable and familiar. And it was pretty different than that clear image that we saw of the Mandalorian from that first shot that we saw in season one. It reminds me of how the first shot in The Searchers is really similar to the first shot in The Mandalorian. This is pretty clear. They talk about it in The Art of the Mandalorian season one and how the final shot of the Mandalorian, oh no, the final shot of the Searchers, (laughs) I personally think is going to be really similar to the final shot of the Mandalorian eventually whenever we get that, which is just walking straight out the door. Um, So we have a beginning of walking into the door every time it's sort of crossing, crossing the threshold into a different adventure. And here just feels a little different because the whole thing is a little different to me of passing through this like plastic curtain versus a door opening for them and then walking over the threshold. I don't know if this is anything, but for me, I felt like it was different than how we had seen Din's entrance before. Um, It just felt a little more mysterious and off. Um, 
And I think that it goes back to what I was saying about, I feel a sense of familiarity by seeing Din again, but I'm aware in the fact that it is a different story that I'm stepping into while also being the same story because of course he has the iconic silhouette. Yeah, this, and to kind of build off of that, this opening in the meat market really reminded me of the opening in the very first episode of The Mandalorian, Uh, not only with the entrance, but just the fight itself and the, you know, I'm here on a bounty that's already started. You're going to come with me. You know, I can bring you in warm. I can bring you in cold. And even kind of the violence of it. Like, remember the first episode, the the door that we're talking about, you know, slices the guy in half. um, And it's, like whoa so violent yeah it's like oh yeah okay cool and then we have you know din very violently with the dark saber kind of you know cutting the guy in half and you know decapitating him as well like you know it's a lot um, <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot um, and i think that's a, such a good comparison to make charlotte because you know thinking about the first episode of how we were introduced to din uh and who he was at the beginning of the mandalorian and this is the next iteration of his character of his journey of who he is now um he's got the dark saber a new weapon that he's still learning um and now he's got this personal mission of fighting grogu again and and he's in a completely different space than a completely different point in life than he was at the beginning of, you know, episode one of The Mandalorian. And even though we see him doing something here similar of having a bounty and, you know, getting getting money for it, he's not actually getting money for it. He's getting information on where to find uh, the the armor and paths. It's it's a different goal here that we're seeing. Um, he's just using a similar end that he's used before. But this episode kind of is jumpstarting us, kickstarting us into, you know, what Din's journey is going to be in the, in his next chapters. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked this set first off. I thought it was really cool that we were in this Star Wars meat market. It felt, it also like, I've a couple of episodes back, I talked about how I was still trying to figure out what the genre of the book of Boba Fett is, meaning that I was trying to figure out if it's like a crime movie, gangster movie, if it's just an amalgamation of them all, like all Star Wars is, but I was trying to figure it out so I could figure out this series, right? And to me, the whole meat market vibe, the sketchiness of it all, the underworld of like, and not saying meat markets are sketchy, they're not, but they're, they're like inherently violent. Films. <laughs> they are, they are, because it's like dangling meat, raw meat. I mean, it's just a, a, a little much, you know, <laughs> it's a very jarring situation. Um, it reminded me of the fact that, oh yeah, we're in a crime movie where we're dealing with the underworld. It was it was a good place to start because I realized, oh, Din is doing these like sort of quote unquote dirty jobs. He's still doing that. Um, but with a more noble he enjoys it. intention. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's move on to the next set, which was the ring world. I am dying to talk about this because I feel like it was just so gorgeous. In our notes, I wrote go off ILM because <laughs> Oh my gosh. It was, I feel like I've been waiting for a set like this from Star Wars for so long. We got really close to the ring of Kafreen, I think is what it's called in Rogue One, where, uh, in the very beginning when, where Cassian shoots that guy in the back, I thought originally that's what this was, but it felt, it feels so much more spacey and oh my gosh, it was so gorgeous. The sci-fi vibes were just off the charts. 
Yeah, they really were. And I was so excited to see space and ships and, you know, it's, we've talked about how it's cool in a lot of ways to kind of stay planet bound on Tatooine, especially with a character like Din, who was planet hopping pretty much every episode. And so it's nice to like really get the, to really map out what Tatooine looks like in this period, I think. But there's something about space and Star Wars and seeing ships flying around and the stars and all of it. And it's, it can't be beat. It's really cool. And I was really excited to just enjoy the beauty of these shots of, you know, Din walking around, going in the elevator, seeing the ships and the uh, transports, the trains on the tracks, for lack of a better word. Uh, It was, I really enjoyed that. Me too. Me too. And I think that it was really cool how something I think was so good, and this is a hallmark of good direction, I guess, uh, is that Bryce tried a new shot that I don't think we've ever gotten before in Star Wars. I could be wrong about that, but there was a singular shot in this this show of uh, Din walking through, walking through the bar and everything, and then ending up at the table, dropping the, the head on the table, saying... I'd put that on ice if I were you. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, the, the camera moved throughout that entire set piece in a continuous way that you don't really see that often in TV. And wow, did I love it. I thought it, it was just brilliant. And it really did get a sense of place and a sense of this this episode in particular was just absolutely gorgeous. Well, even to consider if they are shooting on the volume, if yeah. that one one shot that tracking shot is shot on the volume are they like experimenting with the volumes background changing in real time like that's the whole point right the the game engine of it all right that's the right terminology Uh Uh (laughs) i guess (laughs) (laughs) it moves with the with the player in the game so i don't know how much they've like really taken that to the extremes on the Mandalorian because I know in like the behind the scenes features and stuff like that, we've seen them talk about like breaking to change the lighting, to change the time of day, to change the background. Um, And like the suns, like where the suns are at certain times of day on Tatooine or uh, whatever planet they were on. But I don't know. And maybe that's just because they haven't shared it yet, but like have they really taken that game engine mindset of, you know, making, Din in this case the player and the scene moving with him and the tracking shot and it being seamless enough to put it on TV I can totally see that being the next step here of what they are hoping something like the volume to do and yeah and I think yeah and we've even seen like in the heiress and stuff and the behind the scenes of that episode them talking about the ships and stuff and how like Bryce goes Bryce's episode she gets she goes all out if she can (laughs) and I think this is just another example of that but yeah I hope we do get to see more about this tracking shot because it was really cool and if it is you know them tracking with the volume and the volume changing in real time and kind of a more uh a more detailed set like I imagine it's probably different to do it in something like this where Din is going from like an elevator into a bar room like that has physical components to it as opposed to yeah. like walking in a desert that is changing but still all sand. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, w- I would love to hear more about it and just, you know, 
what they have and uh, what they have been able to accomplish as far as the technology goes for the volume uh, moving into the man uh, into the book of Boba Fett. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super true, and I can't wait. I hope that there's a behind the scenes feature for right? the book of Boba Fett. I can't yeah. imagine that there won't be, but I hope that this is covered. Again, I can't imagine it wouldn't be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I wow, it, it was so cool. Um, I think this is another example of the Mandalorian Din not really caring about his bounty hunter duties. He doesn't even care. He cares so little in the first like 10 minutes of this series about in the series of this episode about the the concept of like being paid and then moving on. Um, he has credits that will last him a long time. It's almost like he's just trying to keep busy, you know, and to get his mind off the fact that he just like separated from his, Baby. I guess, his son, right? And I, I mean, I think that's really sad, but I, yeah, I think that's what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, I think we can assume from this episode that Din has been looking for the armorer. And mm -hmm. wherever the Mandalorians move to next. Because doesn't yeah, she, the, the armor references that at the end of whenever we last saw her. Um, I'm getting the timelines mixed up now, but whenever we last saw her, and right, they leave her. And she's like, don't worry. I, don't, I can't. I, I don't know. She's like, we will read. Yeah. She's basically. like, <laughs> yeah. Basically, basically like a scavenger hunt. Come find us. But what I think is funny is that I can totally see a situation too, where Din knows that they're on this planet and he just walks around looking for the little, you know, invisible ink Mythosaur. on the walls yeah. <laughs> rather than yeah. going to all this trouble of like having a bounty. He just walks around for days looking for the mythosaur and invisible ink it's very you know um secret decoder uh the it's cool <laughs> like let's be honest Nick be cage honest. and the declaration of independence, of independence some lemon yeah. juice on the back of the wall <laughs> totally yeah it's super cool and you can only see it with your your mandalorian visor down or something like that it's, <laughs> it it's super be cool yeah it's funny. I didn't really get that sense. I guess I was just sort of on the journey of Din's doing this job and it, he somehow leads him here. But I think you're totally right in the fact that he's probably searching for that as he is searching for answers, searching for a family. And I sort of think that brings us to our next part about talking about the Mandalorian hideout that he finds. Um, I, I don't know. I think that there's a sense of, and this has been sort of predicted for a long time, um, I don't think this is our first time that we've seen that that we've said this on the show, but I really do believe that Din is someday going to ride a mythosaur or going to see a mythosaur again. You don't bring it back in terms of iconography and then also reference it as stuff of legends while we also have Boba simultaneously. I think he's going to be riding a rancor and sort of figuring that out. Um I think that, again, we have two parallel journeys of Boba becoming a solid ruler of this part of Tatooine and then also have potentially Din becoming a solid ruler of Mandalore and recreating and uh, restarting what a Mandalorian is uh, and like incorporating those legends, honoring the past, but moving forward in something new. I think that's sort of the the thesis of what we sort of assumed was going to be the sequel trilogy. I think that you can argue that it definitely goes that way though. And it's definitely an idea that is being heavily explored in the sequel trilogy. Right. Yeah. And I think that 
um, seeing the armor again. I'm really excited to talk about this actually because the armor and Paz Vizsla, seeing them, I I am happy to never see them again. <laughs> <I'm gonna be laughs> real. I just am like, I, I don't know. I feel like they're so strict in their ways. Yes, the armor is like an oracle for Mandalorian history and that is awesome. The stuff that she delivered, we already talked about this, about seeing the Night of a Thousand Tears and the information about Bo-Katan, but and I don't think she's necessarily 100% wrong about the the creases. I've always said cryas, so I'm wrong about that, I guess. But the creases for what they did to Mandalore, I don't. I wouldn't say that she's 100% wrong. But I also am not sure I would take the armor for her word. Like I actually think that she's probably in a little bit of an unreliable narrator in a lot of this these conversations. Yes, her mm. world was war turn war torn and everything but i am a little concerned about it just based off of the whole uh i mean she she okay first off paz was part of death watch the mandalorian was taken from taken as a child by death watch in the clone wars it's like we're not trusting death watch <laughs> I, I just it's love literally death watch. This whole thing, our whole series is just who doesn't Charlotte trust this week. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying I don't I don't you really don't think her. that we should trust someone with <laughs> freaking mall horns on her helmet, okay? Did Maul well, ever lie to us? No, but is he a reliable narrator? Do we trust him? I trust Maul not to lie. <laughs> Do you trust him with your life, though? Because I feel like he'd kill you at the moment's notice. No, if that's it was a different question. To... Okay. All right. All right. I mean, I think that that's, again, what the Mandalorian presents is this complicated notion of, like, we're seeing a different kind of community and things like that. But the Clone Wars presented us with, you know, different sects of Mandalorians, right, that are peaceful, pacifists, literally death watch, Okay. <laughs> And then we have a story of a character like Din who's taken in by Death Watch. Like, that's canon. We saw what happened when he was a child and he was taken by a member of Death Watch. We have someone, Paz Vizsla, who's played by John Favreau, who's also played by a member of – who also played. voiced a member – he voiced a member of Death Watch in The Clone Wars. Like – it's it's all linked. I don't necessarily think we should the the thing that we should take away from this conversation is believing every single word of what they say. I mean, I don't even think Din does, you know. And I maybe this is like blasphemy for me to say <laughs> because I think that Bo-Katan is a problematic figure. I'm not saying that she's not. She definitely wants the dark saber for maybe questionable reasons, but I think that these are things that we need to explore as a series and hopefully that's done in season three. I don't think the show has done enough of that, but the ideas are planted and the things that we know through the history of what we saw in the Clone Wars and Rebels in the, even the updated the Clone Wars with the new season and everything like that, like just understanding that there are Mandalorians who are loyal to Maul. All of these things are yeah. sort of like, what are we looking at in terms of, you know, sex when it comes to, Mandalorians on Mandalore this will come into play if there really is a war to reclaim Mandalore and will we take the side of the armor yes the armor is so cool Paz Vizsla super cool but that doesn't change the fact that like do I agree with them I don't know 
And I don't have any reason to fully believe them and take them at their word. Well, I think the armorer paints Mandalorian history with like one brushstroke and like what it is to yeah. be Mandalorian. And I think what we know as an audience is that that's not true. Uh, but if she's just been indoctrinated the same way that Din was indoctrinated, the same way they all were, and now she's quote unquote the last of her kind, it's like, whoa. What I think is, yeah, I'm in some ways I'm kind of with you that like, the arm. Every time we see the armor, she talks a lot. <laughs> and I'm always like, <laughs> she is the deliverer what of exposition. Are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> I, re- I need to pause. No, I'm like, <laughs> listen. Uh, let me turn on subtitles. <laughs> yeah, I literally did that. I so. <laughs> I always watch with subtitles. Um, the thing is, I really like the armor and that she represents this very like we talked about, like the Oracle, like coming to this sacred space to hear the sacred history of the sacred people. And like, she's very, she's very much like a mythological figure. And I like, I really love that kind of gravitas that she brings to everything that Din is thinking about. And I think that's purposeful. Like Din looks up to her, obviously, as a leader, as someone who knows what's going on uh, and what his path should be what his like who he is basically she looks to him to tell him that to tell him what it is to be a Mandalorian and to tell him what to do next um or how to live basically because we do see Din in this episode even though she tells him what to do and is like yeah great you're here now and now we're now we're three and he's like well well no because I gotta go get my baby and Mm -hmm. I think I, I'm i with you that, like, the armor has given so much exposition and information about Mandalore and, like, what it, the creed and everything like that. And I think, I, I do think that is something that has been so heavy-handed from her character because it's supposed to be, like, with that, like I said, that kind of gravitas that she brings. Um, but I don't think the Mandalorian ever did a great job of like really cutting into what that means for Din as a person. And I think like we talked about earlier, the episode, The Believer was kind of, I felt one of the first times that The Mandalorian as a show really started to break down what it was uh, and what it meant for Din rather than just having the armor tell us what it should be. When like you mentioned, Charlotte, we've seen all these examples of people not living that way at all, but still calling themselves Mandalorians. Um, and I think, or I should say, I really hope that season three is more of that breaking down. And I think adding in, introducing the character of Boba Fett is honestly a really great way to do that because Boba Fett doesn't wear his helmet. Boba Fett still gets to wear Mandalorian armor, consider himself Mandalorian in a lot of senses. Um, but like his his tie to it is different than Din's, but they still wear the same armor which according to din is like kind of the end all be all it's so important right i don't know i really hope that season three sees din really breaking down you know the social and religious construct of what he has built mandalore (laughs) up to be because it does feel like we're two seasons in and we get these like two or three times every season of din meeting with the armor and the armorer conveying all this knowledge and then din's like okay all right, cool. 
see you in a bit. And like, just kind of like, doesn't really think about it. (laughs) Well, well to that, I say, I think he did think about it because the first two seasons of the Mandalorian are him completing his quest that is referenced in this episode of returning Grogu to his own kind, meaning the Jedi. But that's what the armor told him to do. Yes. (laughs) He's not like questioning whether or not that's okay. However, I think that's what we're leading to. Because I think that we had him deal with that quest, which I think was the right move. I don't think that it's a, I don't think the show is going to be like, it's super bad to give Grogo to the hero of Star Wars, Luke Skywalker. Okay. They're not doing that. No, no. And, <laughs> but, and if we're thinking, sorry to interrupt, but if we're thinking about the no, story, right? Like the original premise is that Grogu is the bounty. Din is supposed to give yeah. Grogu to the client to presumably be killed, tested for science, all that good, not good stuff, but all that bad stuff. And the armorer, after Din has made the moral decision not to, the armorer is the one who's like, he's a Jedi. This is what the Force is. You need to return him to his kind. And like, all of that is good. Like, I'm not, I'm not anti-armorer, yeah. <laughs> but I think I'm. I'm not anti-armor. I think I'm anti-establishment. <laughs> so I think I'm anti-creed, that, which is like, yeah, yeah. Which I think is like that's how it works in in my book. But I feel like uh, I don't think I think there's going to be a more nuanced approach of like, okay, so Grogu was is with Luke Skywalker. That's great. He's learning the Jedi way. But what comes after that? Because clearly, Din needs to be with Grogu. Clearly, Din needs to wrestle with his own personal beliefs with this creed that he has now been thrown out of in this scene. Uh, He even wrestles, I mentioned this already, but wrestles with the concept of loyalty and solidarity or the way of the Mandalorians when attachment, like giving up attachment is the way of the Jedi. So that's different. And like, what does that mean? Which one do you agree with? Which one do you not agree with? What's the third way? What is the third way? And I feel like with... It's love. It's family. It's love. Uh, Which is like, that is Star Wars, right? And exploring that, I don't think that Luke Skywalker is going to not understand that. I mean, I think that's exactly what he dealt with in Return of the Jedi when he brought his father back from the dark side and saved him. And I think that all of this kind of goes together where there's there's a potential for like a solid conversation between Luke and Din about that concept too. And like, I don't, I mean, something could blow our minds with that, you know? Um, But I think that we're, we're leading towards this path of like self-discovery for Din and what it means to be a clan of two that is wholly separate from this like religious situation that we're dealing with when it comes with, comes, when it comes to the armor and, and paths, right? And the The only Mandalorians left. Yes. And the Jedi as well, which is another sort of semi-religious organization. It's just really interesting because I think that it's important that Grogu return to his training that he started as a Jedi, right? Like I do. I think that it's 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 good that he did this. I don't think that Din made a bad decision. Yeah. But I think that the future of Grogu, I mean, he's a, a Yoda type species who lives for 800 years. He's not going to be in Jedi training forever. He's certainly not in the night where uh, ben Solo or not destroyed the Jedi Temple <laughs> with, again, question mark? I don't know. Or not. Um, well, the night that the te- Jedi Temple was destroyed when Ben was a teenager, right? He wasn't there. I don't think well, he was there. we don't there. know that, but it doesn't we don't know he, was, like there. he was there. Right. So I don't, 
I don't know. I think there's just like a whole other story here that's like kind of fully separate from sort of the Skywalker of it all yeah. that involves the Skywalkers, but it it presents another another way that like will maybe be just as tragic when we look at the certain family dynamics that are presented in the Skywalker saga of like, oh, if only they they were like enlightened enough to figure out that or something like that. Um, yeah, I think there's this thing that I kind of hope Star Wars continues to explore. And I think that Luke is the like best example of this is that, you know, enlightenment doesn't just like happen to you one day and like it's done. <laughs> you yeah, don't just become yeah, enlightened absolutely. and like, that's it. <laughs> I need no more enlightenment. It's like a, it's a constantly, it's something that you're constantly learning. And I think that like, if I could speculate a future story, right? Like if I were writing it on the premise that like Grogu is going to come back with Jin or Jin is going to go and find Grogu would have this conversation with Luke, even like further down the line, like thinking about Luke's storyline as it relates to like Ben Solo, right? Like Luke loses his way. Luke either, you know, become so like re-entrenched in what the Jedi code was that he kind of loses sight of the bigger picture of what's going, whatever it is, right? We get to the point where Luke considers killing his nephew Ben Solo and it destroys him in a lot of ways. And yeah. like, I almost wonder if like Grogu sees the direction that Luke is headed or, or sees that not that Luke was going to, you know, try and kill Ben Solo and like that whole direction, but that, what Luke is choosing, the path that Luke is choosing to live his life by, Grogu doesn't want to live his life by that anymore when he's had this experience, this family with Din, and he sees the value in that attachment, in that, and I don't even want to call it attachment, but in having that family connection. Um, and I wonder if he sees Luke straying away from that through Ben Solo, through, like maybe this is all pre-Ben Solo, like I don't know, right? But we see Luke lose his way. And I wonder if before that happens, we see Grogu, you know, no longer be considered part of the Jedi. If it's that third path that Din and Grogu create together as a clan yeah. of two. And whether that is going back to Mandalore with Din and the Darksaber and his like little baby Jedi, like pseudo Jedi, <laughs> like what a team, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that that can change further down the line too i think that's something i always try to keep in mind with star wars is that we're just stepping in on one part of a character's story and like our timeline for star wars while large is all, also quite condensed and that people these characters have opportunity and should be changing and i think luke is that example right of like who he is in the return of the jedi is not who he should be in the last jedi and in fact is not who we see in the last jedi and that's good because characters people are infall are valuable they will fail and they will change and they will continue to make mistakes and i think we'll see din do that and grogu do that and maybe that's what separates them from luke maybe that's why they don't stay with their grogu doesn't stay with the jedi I don't know. Maybe some danger separates them and Luke is like, you got to take Grogu. It's not safe for him here. Like, we mm -hmm. don't know. I think that there's something also that we need to keep in mind, and that is the legend of the Darksaber, which was started by a Mandalorian Jedi. Yes. Um, and, and I think we have here a Mandalorian and a Jedi, and that's who is worthy to lead Mandalore. I guess that comes back to the beginning. So if we talk about the beginning of the Darksaber now in Din's hands, 
What does that represent? They've given us a lot of opportunity throughout Star Wars television to talk about the history of the Darksaber to the point where it's like, okay, so what are we leading to? What is this big thing that we're leading to? And I think here we're presented with someone who is force sensitive and also a Mandalorian. So I don't know what to make of that, but I I think that it goes back to what you were saying, Caitlin, to be honest, about what's next and and sort of maybe maybe honestly, like maybe maybe Luke has a vision of like the fact that Grogu shouldn't be there or something like that. You never know. You just yeah. you really never know what we're and, leading towards. And maybe at this point in Luke's life, he has the like he's not to the point where he is when we see the temple burn right like maybe maybe at this point in Luke's life his thought process is Grogu is better with you like this like you're who he belongs to like I've given him the tools that he needs and he knows he can always reach out to me again like maybe this is who which I think would be a really compassionate way to display Luke's character because I think so too yeah I think that that like I think that would make sense for Luke at this like juncture where like five years out of Return of the Jedi and I think Luke is still trying. I mean, he's like only like 28, right? Like my guy's brain a is young only guy. just fully formed. <laughs> yeah. Like you and I, you know, and I feel like he's just, he, he's figuring out who he wants to be as the leader of the Jedi. And it's, it's not until with Ben Solo where he takes a dozen students to create a Jedi temple that he tells Ray about in The Last Jedi. So we're quite a bit away from that. But um, regardless, I think that he is on several different missions and has def- several different things to do in his timeline. The thing about Luke, too, is that it's it's Ben that causes his downfall because he loves Ben so much. And it also swings the other way of doing of almost doing the most unthinkable thing to the to the person, yeah. one of the people that he loves the most in the world. Like it's easy. It could be easy for him in a lot of scenarios to be like, yeah, Grogu is better off with you. But then when it comes to his own family, to his own blood, like to Leia's son, to Han's son, that completely changes the game that that mm-hmm. makes it that much more devastating what he almost did. Like it, like it matters more because it's so personal when it's Ben and not that he doesn't care about Grogu, but like he, like, you know, someone who's not your family can see what you need best than someone who is your family sometimes. And I think that's what we see with Ben in Ben's personal story. So anyway, not to like take us on a Luke Skywalker tangent, but. I mean, I think it's fair. Luke Skywalker is a player in the Mandalorian at this point. Yeah, he is. I mean, even his body double actor appears in this episode as an X-Wing pilot, which I think is a really cool addition, actually. Um, It makes me think that, oh, he's on set again. (laughs) wonder what that means. (laughs) So I I don't know. Um, Yeah. Let's talk about how freaking cute the fact that the armor that was forged (laughs) from the spear that he got from Ahsoka. First off, you go through the emotions of, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're getting rid of the spear. That was so cool. To, oh, they're melting it down for Grogu. Oh, I wonder what it's going to be. And then it's a literal Grogu-shaped package. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was so cute. I can't. I was like, you didn't have to do that. You, that was a choice. (laughs) That was a, it was a choice. It was a choice. Well, someone definitely tied a knot one time and they were like, oh, Oh, it's like Grogu. Like, that's what we're going to do. I'm like, I freaking hate you guys. That, 
you know, <laughs> dull knife to the heart. Ouch. <laughs> it was so Every cute. time I tie a knot now, I'm going to be thinking about that. Like a piece of fabric like I that. Want, you know, like, did your grandma ever put like little uh, sachets of like good smelling stuff in like your drawers and stuff? Yeah, I, I want, still do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I want like a Grogu sachet of like potpourri for my potpourri for my uh drawer (laughs) yeah why don't we just do that that's the easiest thing ever it's that's the thing that's so good about this is that it's a literal knot (laughs) it couldn't be easier but it still evoked that's what that's why it worked so well is that oh that makes sense that that's what that's where that like if we were calling it chain mail chain mail is inside of this package but oh my god it looks like him and then it also like it was right after din experiences this child staring at him little rodian, ro- rodian child <laughs> yeah that was like oh my gosh like he's thinking about that he's thinking about like what parentage is like <sighs> my heartstrings just can't handle it that whole space travel thing by the so way fun. the woes and the the fact that we see this is our second or third like Rex droid from Star Tours <laughs> and I feel like this was a callback to Star Tours like in a big way because if you remember when you're in the queue for new Star Tours not the old one but the new Star Tours there's you know this whole gag about like your checked luggage when you're going on Star Tours so yeah it's pretty canon that you check luggage <laughs> to get on things even though we see Anakin and Padme carry on their own luggage it's a different time transport yeah it is and it, it's also like I don't think that transport that Anakin and Padme took was as nice because they traveled as refugees. So this is a little different and it's a totally different time. And I just loved that little bit. I really got worried though, that he was going to lose the dark saber and we were going to experience another side quest. I was really worried. I was like, yeah, don't put the dark saber in, in that. Don't do it. I was like, just hide it. I don't see any metal detectors. I'm like, just (laughs) just slice him. No, I think the droid is the metal detector. Um, True. I'm like, just slice him and get on. It's fine. Oh my god! <laughs> just kill him just... and go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the dark saber is a pretty. It was a pretty serious thing to just put in, like, you know, the the. I know. I was like, this, underneath this weapon the carrier that represents ruling a whole system. <laughs> I know that was the thing. The first time I watched this episode, I was so worried that did was going to lose the Darksaber. And, like, we do see him obviously go to battle and, like, has a very similar training kind of experience that we see Sabine have in Rebels. But um, I totally thought, one, I thought that he just, like, casually hands it over to the armorer in the beginning of the episode and, like, Paz when they uh, get there, when she's like, what is it? And he's like, this. And he, like, just hands it over. And I was like, dude, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then with the Beskar uh, staff, I was like the armor going to stab him? Like, I, I was totally worried that she was going to heat it up and then just, like, bam, stab him and take the saber. It could have happened. Yeah, and then he puts the happened. saber in. Like, there were so many close-up shots of her sharpening the saber and, like, heating it up. It's like Chekhov's gun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was really <laughs> worried. And once again, I'm like, where is Osha in a galaxy far, far away? There are no safety railings <laughs> literally anywhere. <laughs> um, uh, anywhere in, in this universe. And we see it be a problem time and time again so true most famously i would say with han solo <laughs> <laughs> that was that, that was low caitlin 
<laughs> too soon i'm sorry most famously with <laughs> seriously it's true what other most famous would you use um i don't know exactly but anyway i thought that this whole the whole first time i watched the episode i was very concerned that din was gonna lose the dark saber i'm glad he didn't but what i think is so fun is that it really was kind of like as soon as din left uh the ring planet as soon as they have the armorer we get this entire kind of tonal shift i think in the episode of one that's like really heavy again with like the the armor and like all of her her lore that she just like spews out i'm like how does she like does she joke does she does her voice always sound like that <laughs> she doesn't joke <laughs> when no, she's like there's no joking i'll have you know the number two like with the fries like is it just anyway um <laughs> but we we kind of switch tones like when we're on the carrier, when we're on the, the commercial uh, ship, right, with the kid and everything becomes a lot lighter, I think. And then that's when we're back on Tatooine. And of course, we have we finally made it to the Starfighter. And basically the whole back half of the episode is just a montage of building this Starfighter. And um, we've got Pelimoto back and all of her droids. And it's just, it's a good time. We've got some pod racing. We've got a, a good old fashioned speed trap in space. Like everything is lighter and brighter. Um, and not just because we're not covered in like, you know, the dark, the darkness of space, but the tone of everything is a lot lighter too. As we, you know, we're watching like colors and stuff as we've come from like the darkness of this ring world and like that cool icy blues and blacks. And now we've moved into, you know, back to Tatooine with our, our browns and our beiges and our neutral colors, but also like, you know, sky blue. And we even have some of that like yellow poking through on the starfighter in the beginning. And yeah, it just, it's, Charlotte and I were talking about this before we started the episode, like this episode feel before we started recording this episode of the book of Boba Fett of Boba Lorian is very like segmented. And it also is kind of broken nicely into two halves, I think, too. And this is now we've moved into the second half back on Tatooine. And oh, my gosh, this entire section was way better than I could have even imagined. Oh, yeah. I'm not the hugest Pelimoto fan. But I I like her a lot more after this episode. Yeah, and I love the droid friends. I can't believe we got a BD oh, unit, which is so the cutest cute. thing ever. I don't even play Jedi Fallen Order, but, we but know this, this is my favorite droid. Like I bought the art of Jedi Fallen Order because I'm obsessed with this droid. And they played up the cuteness so much in this episode. The little tippy taps. Are you kidding me? The fact that Din was like talking to the BD droid trying to like in the similar way in which they had Grogu like work on the wires remember that no. we just were talking about that actually yeah um with this whole thing like it was so good just to see them interact and the droids are so great I like how Pelly has like her favorites being like I knew you were just the smartest one the very fact that we have more prequel references in this episode of the book of Boba Fett than we do in the entire sequel trilogy. Are you kidding me? We got a Queen of Naboo reference. I've been waiting for this reference <laughs> for so long. <laughs> Years. I almost like jumped out of my skin. I, I was like, this this N one fighter, amazing. But the very fact that Pelly called out the fact that it was commissioned for the Queens of Naboo, like, hello, that's Padme. We're talking about Padme here. I, it was amazing. I actually think it makes so much sense that Din has this specific starfighter to be his new um, his new 
chip. It it's a it feels like it's a size downgrade, but in this in in a weird way, it feels so much more personal, which is I think a journey that we're sending Din on anyway, is a, a more internal look at who he is. So of course his ship is also going to be smaller and have obviously a space for Grogu. Mm-hmm. The fact that the I know <laughs> the fact that the R2 unit area, like the Astromech area, was hollowed out and not usable for an Astromech droid. Come on, we know that Grogu is going to sit there in his little car seat. Like we have, we have, we have no doubt. He can't handle it. Let's and put I him in a. Like they said, let's put Grogu in a bubble. Let's make him even so cuter. They're like, what are the cutest things that we could possibly do? Wouldn't it be so cute if we put him in like an astromech area and it was like his own? Yeah, it would be really cute. It would be adorable. Thank you guys. <laughs> it's, it's so good. And just the there was a lot of like amazing use of CGI, I feel like, which I'm a big advocate for on these shows, if you can't tell. I've mentioned it before. I think that some of the aliens in the show like could be better if there was more less practical effects on it. Mm-hmm. And just even with the droids that we were like the pit droids and just everything looked really good, like amazing. The uh, I don't want to speak for Caitlin, but there was a really cool like Jurassic Park reference, even with Pelly in the beginning when she was being eaten by that like rat and holding on. It's very like shoot huh, of in the very <laughs> beginning, you know, of of Jurassic Park, which I think we know. Obviously, Bryce has such an attachment to Jurassic Park, and since she is in the Jurassic World franchise, but on the Disney Gallery for the Mandalorian, all those years ago, she talked about how influential Jurassic Park was, and like bringing her into understanding like visual effects and everything like that. So it was great that she referenced that in this episode, and I got it immediately. It was great. Um, yeah, God, this sequence was just so good. It was so good. It was. It was so good. And and like you, I'm not the biggest Palimoto fan, but she had such zingers in this episode yeah. that it was hard yeah. not to be like, all right, no, I... She, she was Miss Char- Charismatic. She really episode, I, let's be honest. The beginning yeah. when she was like, yeah, her talking about, you know, like, ooh, look who's back. Mando's back to what do we owe the surprise and like that whole thing. And then all of her conversations with the Jawas. I'd love to see her actually speak uh, Jawis in Jawa. I don't, I don't know what they're... Sure. Their language is actually called, but sure. conversing with the Jawas in their language, I thought was really cool. And I honestly didn't expect it at all. I think usually when we have instances of, you know, characters speaking English, understanding an alien language or speaking basic, understanding an alien language, it's just that they kind of understand each other, but they don't talk back to each other in their same language. You know, again, probably most famously with Chewbacca and Han and how they can understand each other. But Han's (laughs) another most most famously famously. with Han Solo. (laughs) What's up with you and the Han Solo references? He's so so famous. (laughs) He really is so famous. He's very famous. Um, uh, Yeah. Anyway, I was not expecting her to actually speak their language. So I thought that was really fun. And then learning that she had a relationship with the Jawa and (laughs) very furry. But then my I think my favorite line from her was I don't even remember the whole conversation, but she was talking to one of the Jawas and I think the one she dated, her her ex. And she was like, Yeah, no, I'm I'm working on myself right now. (laughs) It it was so funny. I just yeah, I I really enjoyed her uh this episode, probably more than I have in any other episode. But uh yeah, I the whole montage, it was so long. Like again, it was like the whole back half of this episode was just 
building the N1 Starfighter. And it really felt like this celebration of the aesthetic of the prequels and like even, you know, going back through you know, Becker's Canyon and like where I almost expect us to see like the ruins of the pod race, uh, like the start line and like the amphitheater and everything like that. And I kind of wish we had, but yeah, same. Uh, I kept expecting him to, to like pass us in the background, honestly, but I don't know. It felt like, like that great moment in the force awakens of like, you know, the garbage will do and the, the tarp flies off the Falcon and the whole audience cheered. And it was great. Like I've, I was there, I was cheering, I was clapping, like it was fantastic, but We've never had a prequel moment like that uh, that I can think of really since the Disney era of like really celebrating the aesthetic and like the, a ship, like a, a an, something that's iconic, like an iconic look from the prequels. And that was that was this. That was the N1 Starfighter. And so getting to just like really spend time building it and shining it up and then seeing it go through these sites of Tatooine that are very much tied to the Phantom Menace. It was great. And I was so over the moon about it. Um, And yeah, I think the book of Boba Fett has had the most second trilogy ties than I think perhaps anything else has uh, that has been live action uh, in the Disney era that we've seen so far uh everything with attack of the clones and camino uh especially that we've seen in the whole first part of the first half of the book of boba fett and now this it just man it's great <laughs> i really love it and i think you know having we touched you touched on this a little bit charlotte about you know it feels like a big size down like a step down for din going from something you know with the size of the razor crest and the n1 starfighter but like you said this is like an inner journey right like din is paring down to the essentials of what he needs and there's only room for grogu in in that ship you know and i think that that is that's what we're taking away from this is that there's only room for grogu in this ship that is the Din's focus, like we said, he's got a one track mind and it's on Grogu. So his ship is only going to be able to fit Grogu in it because nothing else is going to fit in that little astromech, you know, gunner position. No bounty hunting. No, no other bounty hunting. Anyone back warm or cold. It doesn't work. I guess unless like, he's decapitating there's... more people. But like the point here is that it's <laughs> true. <laughs> Caveat <laughs> asterisk. <laughs> it's just Grogu that's going to fit back there. And yeah, I think it's really cool taking something like a Mandalorian that with the character like Boba Fett and like the armor of it, I think we kind of heavily associate with the original trilogy in a lot of ways. And um, even though we've, you know, obviously we've explored them very much in the Clone Wars and the prequel era. But again, that like that live action kind of look to them, I think is very much rooted in the original trilogy. And so to see a character like Din in armor like that, placed into an N1 Starfighter. It's just, it's super cool. It's super fun. I love it. Even the shots of Din trying out the newly fitted N1 Starfighter and flying them through Beggar's Beggar's Cannon and everything, I just want to note that there was no no music behind that, which is a very clear decision in The Phantom Menace during the pod race that there's basically no music until the very end of the pod race. The tension is there. You don't know whether or not this is going to fly the way that he wants to, whether or not this is going to work out. And obviously it ends with him meeting basically the space cops in the X-Wing. 
um, which is funny. I don't really know what that really accomplished, but maybe just to show that the New Republic is still out there, still patrolling. But regardless, I, I just wanted to point out that it was pretty cool that it even had such a, a touchstone of calling back to the prequels in the way that they removed the music. Yeah. And it was so cool that we saw like the detail of the houses being built into the canyon that weren't there in the Phantom Menace. The N1 Starfighter is so special because it's one of the first pieces of uh, concept art that was ever shown before the Phantom Menace was even released to the public, before the trailer was shown. It was Doug Chang's like original beautiful artwork. I posted it on her Instagram and it is that's why it is so iconic. It it has stood the test of time and it is such a cool piece that now this is Din's ship. I think that the Razor Crest was a really cool, amazing piece of like design work for um like people like IL in ILM. I remember when John Knoll showed the rig of um of how they did that practically. Do you remember that at Celebration mm -hmm. when they showed that? And it was super cool. And I was thinking about how many things they did in this shot that were probably done on a rig uh, in a similar way um, with John Knoll and maybe not John Knoll, I don't know, but it on a, on, a, on a rig again. But regardless, I wonder how many things they took from creating The Phantom Menace, you know, with like practical effects and CGI. Like I feel like that was what this entire section of this uh, part of the show really exemplified for me. And it just felt really gratifying as a major prequel fan and someone who, be who came into Star Wars during the prequels. Um, it was like that nostalgia boost that I, I really needed. And I know it's so stupid to say, but it, it, maybe it's not stupid. Like this is our podcast. We can say what we like <laughs> and what we don't like, but I... I really, really enjoyed it. And it's funny because I think that my relationship to Tatooine has just like completely shifted in this series. And it reminded me of like those scenes that I just felt like a kid again watching with uh, The Phantom Menace and being like, man, this is so cool. This is so loud. This is like racing. You know, it gets your your heart pumping. It was awesome. It was just really, really cool. And it reflected so many things that I love about the prequels too. Like I mentioned with it once, once you mention the queen and Naboo for me, it's like, that's all you need. This can, <laughs> yeah. This can only go up from 10. here. Like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it really, 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 really did. And then it has to end with him saying it was wizard. Are you kidding it's me? Just, it was, are you, are you kidding me? It was laugh out loud. Like I almost fell off my couch it, to it be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the delivery was perfect. perfect. So good, good job, Pedro. You nailed it. <laughs> I also think it's funny that he was like spinning so much. Did you notice that? Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Spinning's a good trick. That's great. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, that's all I have to say. And like, it's not like he was like, ooh, spinning, which might have been too much, but it was just I, perfect. I bet they had takes of him doing that and also the wizard. And it was like, okay, we we should probably only do one of these and like, let's see which one lands better. And it was, yeah. it was wizard was totally the right choice. <laughs> totally. I think too, yeah. it's like, it's, you know, Doug Chang is a, he's, I forget what his title is. He's like a, he's a designer specifically for the Mandalorian and for Book of Boba Fett, uh, like 
set design, concept design. I, I can't think of his actual title right now on this show, uh, but it's different. He has a big title. He it's is. like creative it's, director. Yeah, I think that's it's actually like similar what it is. to Dave. Yeah, I think yeah. it is creative director. Actually, it's it's something like that. It's not. He's not working in the same capacity of like running the art department, which is what he was doing. I'm pretty sure up until the Mandalorian. Uh, and the book of Boba Fett now. So to really see his artwork, his concept, his original designs, like being celebrated in that kind of like nostalgic way that we celebrate so many things from the original trilogy. It's just super cool. I don't know. I, I really loved it. And it made me really happy as someone who loves the prequels and yeah, you know, like when Skytalkers first started, Charlotte and I were known as the prequel podcast. Like <laughs> and that was such like a weird thing. Like people were like, Oh yeah, that's that podcast where the where the hosts like the prequels and talk about how good they are. And like <laughs> there weren't that many of us at the time. And I don't know. It's and Charlotte and I were actually just talking about this the other day with someone. So it's like kind of fresh in my mind, which is why I'm bringing it up. But yeah, to then have this episode a couple of days later being like you know, pod racing back through <laughs> Tatooine in an N1 starfighter, you know, commissioned by the Queen of Naboo. <laughs> How wizard is that? I'm like, yeah. So wizard. I'm like, no, it's it's freaking wizard. <laughs> it's really wizard. It's, it's, you I, know what? You're right, Dan. It was wizard. It was wizard. <laughs> no lies detected. <laughs> uh, it was so good. And the thing is about that scene to me, is that there was just so much time that was, and you said this, it was just so much time that was put into the entire scene. It was a character study of Din rebuilding himself and rebuilding his home, right? Yeah. And I I think that, I think that the Razor Crest represented a home, a home where he brought back Grogu to, a home where he had Grogu's like own room. And this is him starting over and focusing on the individual. Um but while also leaving room, just a little bit of room for Grogu. And it's just really special and seeing him enjoy the time of taking it for a spin and also enjoy the time of like putting it together and all the callbacks between that one thing that was taken from the Pike ship, which is a really good connection, by the way, to realizing and like taking us back to Earth about, not for lack of a better <laughs> term, back to Earth, back to Tatooine about what's going on on Tatooine right now that Boba Fett himself is dealing with about the Pikes running spice. It's even affecting someone like Peli who is aware of the fact that that's an issue or something that has changed the landscape of Tatooine. And then only later do we see Fennec who appears. And I just have to say, this is the most charismatic I've seen Fennec jumping from being at the top of the, uh, this like building jumping down and then down again and then just ha having so much like she was really comfortable in her role I feel like that was just the feeling I felt and I think that sometimes comes from Bryce being the director and understanding how to direct women I don't know what's going to happen next by by Din saying but first I have to pay a visit to a little a little friend before rejecting the credits and definitely saying yes to Boba, I still love this whole like assembling a group of misfits and muscle, you know, <laughs> I really do. I think it's so fun that this is what we're leading to with Boba Fett. And I just, I am so excited for next Wednesday, but I, I, I just feel like, are we going to see Grogu in this season? I don't know. I don't know. It felt <laughs> like, it's kind of crazy to me that Din could like, like be like, yeah. 
Yeah, I just got to go pick up Grogu real fast, like picking him up after school and then like come back to Tatooine. Well, he's not going <laughs> to pick him up. He might just say hi. Like, I think his goal is just to say hi. That, yeah, but that's not actually And then he'll goal. go pick him up later in Mandalorian this, the like season three. Okay, that's true. But like, I don't want to see, I don't want to not see Grogu and Din's reunion. <laughs> right. And, and the thing that's interesting about this is that I think we would have said the same thing about if Mandalorian season three opened with him with a brand new ship and everything. We would have been like, why didn't we see him getting the ship, figuring that out? You know, well, what like, happened right after? I guess I wouldn't have cared like if that. it was another Razor Crest. But like if it was an N1 Starfighter, I would care. <laughs> but yeah. probably only because we got this like literally 12 minute montage <laughs> of them building it. I bet. This is what I think. I think that there's going to be like a, basically a cold open of Din seeing Grogu again um, and then it'll like flash to the book of Boba Fett then we'll be back with Boba I think I think I can see that and I think that makes sense too kind of to bring us back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode of like bringing having these be the box set and that these stories can flow between each other kind of a little bit more seamlessly than we've seen in other like in something like Marvel or even like in some of the other TV shows that you mentioned at the top of the show of having that like one episode be kind of out of place in the season. And I think that these can kind of flow these characters and stories can kind of flow into one another because they are taking place during the same time period. And this also brings me back to the Clone Wars season seven and something Dave talked a lot about, about like treating the Revenge of the Sith timeline like sacred space and that you can't have the Revenge of the Sith timeline, like the film timeline taking place during Clone Wars season seven. Like for some reason, like you can get into a block, a mental block about that. And it's like, that's not actually true. They can take place at the same time. And like, let's explore that. And I think my first reaction to something like Grogu in the book of Boba Fett is like, no, like his reunion should be saved for the Mandalorian. But then it's like, why? <laughs> why do I think that? Yeah, there's no reason yeah, why. Yeah, like when it's like all the same story. Exactly. Like Grogu doesn't only have to, like these big moments don't have to only exist in the Mandalorian. Like that is, very limiting um, in a lot of ways, especially for these like series that are only and for the Mandalorian like seasons that are only eight, eight episodes or so. And so I think that kind of pulling back on the reins or giving more slack, I think, to things like this, like, yeah, we can see Din have a whole episode that really furthers his story in Book of Boba Fett. And not that we had it to the same extent of Boba and the Mandalorian, but we kind of did. And like jumpstarting Boba's story in the Mandalorian too. And and then I think bringing Din into it, it would all, or uh, I'm sorry, Grogu into the book of Boba Fett, it could work really well. The only disappointment I would have if we just see Din kind of say hi and bye and like BRB to Grogu in the next, you know, one or two episodes of the book of Boba Fett is that we will not see Boba Fett with Grogu. And for as much as we've seen Boba kind of love cute things in the book of Boba Fett, I would love to see Boba like Boba would totally construct himself by himself, by hand, a high chair for Grogu at their table, you know, in their like dining room uh, in Jabba's palace and like make sure that Grogu had every option of whatever he wanted to eat. And he would totally like let Grogu like force pull food to him and think it was so cute. And like, I don't know. It would just, it would be great. 
So true. So true. <laughs> went on that tangent. For, he'd be like, oh, my God, he's so cute. Like, great trick. And he'd be like, let me introduce you to my pet Rancor. And Din would be like, oh, my God, no. And he'd be like, it's fine. What if Grogu and the Rancor got along? No, they would. So That's the thing. He'd be like, Uncle Boba. Yeah. Oh, my God, that is the cutest thing. Right? I think <laughs> – Again, that would be my... Well, if Boba's assembling a family, why can't Din be a part of it? Exactly. Why can't he have a nephew? A nephew Jedi. Yeah. It's all... So true. <laughs> nephew Jedi. It's 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 written in Star Wars. We already have that. <laughs> it really <Okay>. is. <laughs> anyway, I just imagine like Grogu toddling around Jabba's palace. I can. With like... And so. like the Gamorreans <laughs> just following him around and being like... You, have to- you and the Gamorreans. <laughs> Charles, like, I don't like trust a... them with the baby. <laughs> it's just funny how you're like literally always bringing up the Gamorreans. <laughs> I'm going to get you a Gamorrean statue and you're going to be like, this no, is great. Wait, I, I want to, I'll take a Gamorrean plush. I don't want a Gamorrean statue. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, but like. Why? Is it because you don't trust them? <laughs> no, I just like, I don't know where I'd put a Gamorrean statue. Like, I don't know. I think because I think the Gamorreans are trustworthy and like soft. So I want a plush of them. If I didn't trust them, okay. I'll get you the statue because they're like hard as stone. Um, but they're they're soft and cuddly. And I just imagine Boba like Boba telling the Gamorreans to babysit Grogu too. And like they just are like again, I think I said this in the Mandalorian, but Grogu is kind of like Jack Jack from the Incredibles in some ways, I think. <laughs> and like that, like, where'd he go? He's playing hide and seek. He's, you know, pulling like always getting into trouble. Yeah, pulling things down <laughs> with the force and like, oh my God, he's in the kitchen with the with the um the lep droid again. <laughs> like anyway. So cute. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it. Ah, <laughs> uh, this was such a good episode. I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah. I love the conversations that it sparks and it just really reminds me, like I said at the top of the show, about how much I love the Mandalorian. And I also want to comment on one thing that I just don't think I got a chance to comment on too much when you, in the beginning of the show where you talked about how this is the only, like we've only had the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett as our live action shows. And I think that sometimes it's easy to forget that we're just starting this journey, but wow, the journey has been very enjoyable. And this entire episode really reminded me about how much I have enjoyed this journey by bringing me back to the beginning. And man, did I love it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I think the last thing we should probably mention uh, as we kind of wrap up here is the music of this episode Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. incredible. How how is it taking us like this long to talk about this? Last episode, we said, wouldn't it be so awesome mm-hmm. if they blended the Mandalorian and Boba Fett's themes? And guess what? Guess what? They did. It, it was, they did that. It was so good. I thought, too, that there were these great moments like when um, of Grogu's theme, too, of just like this really soft, yes. like very orchestral uh, yes. moments of Grogu's theme when Din is thinking about Grogu, like on the the commercial plane ship. Um, and he's looking at, you know, his little Grogu-shaped package. <laughs> and it's, it's very... Uh, it's very different from from like obviously the Mandalorian theme and also Boba's theme, um, and it stands out a lot. So, but yeah, the the combination of the themes was outstanding, and the music and sound design of this episode really stood out. And that's something that the prequels are so well known for is that sound design. And so again, really kind of focusing on that ear, that sound aesthetic, so well done. Absolutely. And I just want to say that the Grogu theme 
I actually always forget how much it gets me. It is an instant tearjerker for me, the way that it is so like solemn and quiet and they know what they're doing with it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. It is a really good theme. And just immediately these themes are so iconic to me and it's actually amazing how much they are. Yeah. 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 So good. So good. Well, is there anything else that we've forgotten to mention for this episode? Yes, absolutely. But I can't think of it now. I mean, <laughs> this episode is chock full of things. Our disclaimer but... for every episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, I think I think that's going to cover it for today. Anything that we didn't cover, we'll talk about next week. You know what it is? It's our most famous disclaimer, I think. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Sorry. sorry. Just do it one more time. Um, well, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Bobalorian. We had a really great time with it and very much looking forward to catching back up with Boba. Um, I really did miss him this week, but had such a fabulous time with Din and seeing what he's been up to. And another episode by Bryce, another episode by a woman. And it was so, so good. So uh, yeah, hope we keep doing more of that in the future. Um, But if you want to find us online to talk about this episode or anything else Star Wars related, you can find us online at Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Flusher and Charlotte's is at Crarity. We also have our website, skytalkers.com, our Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook page. Um, You can also email us, hello at skytalkers.com, and we would love to receive an email from you if you feel like emailing us, too. We we love getting emails, actually, in our inbox. It's really fun. Um, Our next episode coming up is actually going to be all about the Fallen Star from the High Republic. Uh, We did a lot of the High Republic coverage last year, and... Uh, we are both really excited to have finally finished The Fallen Star. I feel like it took us a little longer than usual to get to this latest release from The High Republic, but that's going to be coming out next. So if you are caught up on The Fallen Star on The High Republic, we would love to have you join in that discussion with us too. Yeah, absolutely. I think Caitlin and I have really enjoyed diving into the young adult books and the adult books of The High Republic, and we're excited to finish out phase one, which is really exciting. Yes, it's very exciting. So definitely be sure to uh, look out for that episode. It should be coming within the next week or so, so very soon. Um, And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, we would love it if you took a second to go and do that. Or on Spotify too, as they do podcast readings now on Spotify. Uh, To everyone that has already left us ratings on Spotify, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It really does help other people find our show and join in on the conversation. So thank you to everyone who has. Um, and yeah, if you would like to do that, we we would really appreciate that too. <laughs> and if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there and also how to get involved in our Patreon-only Discord community. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Mason and Sophia, Aubrey Emily, Angela, Amanda, Ian, Niall, Ryan, Aaron, Stephanie, Julia, John, Kate, Tadashi, Kyle, Catherine, Linda, Ethan, Jeff, Stefan, Anna, Matza, Jean, and Matthew. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.